we are staying here. Last night on the road to Gorlib and protesters gave notice of how hard they will be to move. Against them, the biggest police task force of its kind seen in Germany, more than 30,000 officers. Their orders to see a cargo of nuclear waste through to its journey's end. As someone who grew up in the shadow of Windscale, now branded as Sellafield Nuclear Power Station, I'm much more concerned with those kinds of dumping that put my children in danger. Hazardous materials such as PCBs or nuclear waste. Around Gorleben, the strength of the grassroots anti-nuclear movement is plain to see. Farmers are lining up with local citizens and hardened protest groups saying no to a nuclear storage site in their backyard. It's interesting that in many Western societies, the dumping of toxic materials takes place in neighbourhoods occupied by people who don't have a history of political participation. In America, for example, waste is often discarded in low-income neighbourhoods, and this can have a disproportionate impact on certain ethnic groups. Julian Adjaman's work on environmental politics highlights this kind of injustice on both sides of the Atlantic. Julian was once a key campaigner in the Black Environmental Network in the UK, but now is Professor of Urban and Environmental Planning at Tufts University in Boston, and an advocate within the environmental justice movement. Unlike Erin Brockovich and the landmark cases of white working-class protest, the group most affected by toxic dumping is the African-Americans. To understand this, we need to look at the environmental justice movement in much more detail. Julian spoke to us on the telephone from Boston. One of the interesting things about the environmental justice movement in the United States is that there have been many streams that have contributed to the, the river of environmental justice. And those streams are the civil rights movement, the anti-toxics movement, academia has contributed to the environmental justice movement, Native American struggles for self-determination, the labor movement, especially the um, farm workers' unions, and also the traditional environmental movement has contributed. So. I think one of the defining things has been its ability to frame injustice to minority and low-income people as an issue which should be taken up by the civil rights movement. So the dissenters, the, the, the people who claim um, environmental injustice, have tapped into a very, very strong vein. So really by the 1980s, there was a, quite a strong movement that was starting to say, hey, our neighbourhoods are disproportionately dumped on. Our neighbourhoods are disproportionately visited on by what are called Lulus, locally unwanted land uses, bus garages, toxic waste transfer stations, toxic storage and disposal facilities. And that really led to the, the rallying cry of the environmental justice movement, which was environmental racism. And, and I think it was really at that point, you know, if you could link the two words, environment and racism, you then had this direct plug-in to the civil rights movement. So this movement is basically a NIMBY, a not-in-my-backyard movement. The EJ movement started out as an anti-toxics, a don't-dump-it-in-my-backyard movement, but it's now, I think, a lot broader. You know, why is the Massachusetts Bay Transit Authority, which is the, the transportation authority for the urban Massachusetts, why does it spend more on its suburban rail routes than it does on its inner urban bus routes. Whatever issue we are dealing with, we are largely dealing with an unjust distribution of both the goods and the bads. The bads are poor transportation, issues like uh, toxics and uh, issues like sprawl. 
the good things um, are things like access to quality green spaces, access to the countryside. Many definitions of environmental justice just talk about EJ as being stopping dumping bad stuff in minority neighborhoods. More recent definitions, such as the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts definition, which came out in 2002, really looks at environmental justice also in the positive, i.e. it's not just about stopping doing these things to minority neighborhoods, it's about giving minorities access to environmental quality as well. So it's both stopping bads and increasing access to goods. In the past, you've described the emergence of the environmental justice movement as a vocabulary for political mobilization and action. What exactly do you mean by that? Environmental justice is a vocabulary for dissent about the way things are to do with specifically the local environment and increasingly more the global environment. So in a sense, environmental justice is a vocabulary for change. We saw that the syntax, the structure of language used around environmental justice is a very open, uh, inclusive language. Is that why you attach so much importance to examples such as the Dudley Street Neighbourhood Initiative? Dudley Street was the first not-for-profit in the United States to get what's called eminent domain, i.e. the power of development over a piece of land. They were the first community group to do this, and Mayor Flynn of Boston at the time gave them that domain so that they could, through their neighbourhood committee, uh, have more control of that land. They've developed affordable housing, they've done sort of greening initiatives, they've cleaned up what are called brownfield sites. These are kind of abandoned sites that seem to litter uh, the American cityscape. They've cleaned them up, found the owners, uh, got redevelopments done. They've developed urban agriculture projects. Is sustainable development what we're talking about here? Environmentalism in the Dudley Street model is just sustainability. It's about not just affordable housing, but it's about green affordable housing. The just sustainability model says, well, it's not good enough just to give people affordable housing. We've got to give them energy efficient affordable housing because the people that are going into affordable housing are those who can least afford the energy bills. And this involves active citizens getting involved in particular projects and feeling an obligation to actually change the way in which their environment operates. I would argue that people like the Dudley Street Neighbourhoods Initiative are as involved in the process of involvement and deliberation and defining the objectives than they are in the product. They believe that the product will look after itself if you get the process right. You've already said something about what environmental justice involves and your own work as an academic and formerly as a campaigner in the UK means that you've had experiences on both sides of the Atlantic involved in this particular movement. This must have uh, generated many questions about what environmental justice can and should look like according to each specific case. Well certainly when we set up the Black Environment Network in Britain and that was 1987. This was around the time of the toxic waste and race report in the United States. We didn't have anything like that. However, rural access for people from black and ethnic minority groups, well, there were problems with that access. We were looking at whether people felt that they had a right, whether they had the ease or the confidence to go into rural Britain. And one of my conclusions was that we, as, as black Britons, would never feel fully at home here until we could access every part of this place and not feel that we were being stared at or being threatened or being made fun of. So environmental justice in its early phases in Britain through the Black Environment Network was a very different kind of environmental injustice to what was going on in the United States where neighborhoods were being dumped on. We didn't have any evidence of that. But then again, the nature of race in Britain is very differently played to the nature of race within the United States.
has this dissenting movement come in from the cold? When you invoke environmental justice at environmentalist meetings or at urban development meetings here in the States, it's almost like invoking civil rights. Nobody will disagree with environmental justice because to disagree with environmental justice, you're almost branding yourself as being a racist. And I still think it's the most dynamic force within environmentalism in the United States. I still think it's the biggest export that the United States has given to environmentalism in the rest of the world. 